Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney, surrounded by youth of Utah. Yay, uh, yay. there's an applause there. We have Micah from Murray down here. We have Zach from Sandy right here. We have Samantha from Draper right here. We have Sarah who turned 16 years old today. Happy birthday, Sarah. And we have Sadie who is celebrating her birthday by eating uh, candy. Uh, youth of America, youth of Utah, any words you'd like to share with the audience? Let's start with you, Mr. Micah. Um, I love everyone. <laughs> from the mouth of babes can't hear him and that's because of this microphone he said he loves everyone and he likes burritos uh, any words of wisdom mr. Zach and you don't have to share anything if you don't want to um, I'd like to uh, give a shout out to uh, my youth pastor Vince Craig uh, he's an awesome guy what church are you is he a youth pastor at uh, city church City Church. All right, excellent. Samantha, she's going to bypass the, the microphone. Birthday girl, anything you'd like to say? Uh, Sarah called the show five years ago when she was 11 years old. And uh, what was your question then? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't even remember what I had for dinner last night. <laughs> for some reason, I believe that. Uh, Sarah, is there anything you'd like to say? Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hi, Mom. And from her friend Sadie. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> Hi, Kathy. The youth of America, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being on Heart of the Matter. God bless America. God bless America. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of his ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Want to learn the word of God? Join us Sundays at the University of Utah as we go verse by verse through the Bible. In the morning at 10 a.m., we are in Matthew. In the afternoon at 2.30, we are in Romans. We call it milk in the morning, meat in the afternoon. Uh, go to www.campus-inbetweentheletters.com uh, for more information like directions, time, etc. You ever listen to AM820? Christian radio station here in Utah Valley uh, goes up and down the Wasatch Mountain uh, Mountains. Sunday, AM820 replays Heart of the Matter. We appreciate them. They're a very good radio station. Check them out. Uh, Russ East and his ministry, Utah Partnerships for Christ, an excellent ministry there as well. Uh, we are going to do a moment from the word. Cassidy, what's the passage? For Romans 8, 5, 6. That's the word of God put to music, which we uh, celebrate at campus every week. We left off last week in John 17, 3, where Jesus said plainly, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This setting of the passage uh, is the Lord is preparing to go to his passion, to the cross, to suffer, uh, bleed and die for us. 
and he's having a final moment with his disciples and he's praying to the Father. And in the very next verse that we covered last week, Jesus says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, those of you who have watched the show for any number of weeks, actually, remember that we had a uh, ex-con uh, religious charlatan by the name of Christopher Namelka on the program. He used this very passage to prove that Jesus came and he set an example, but he didn't suffer for sin because he says here that he's finished the work that God gave him to do, and he had not yet gone to the cross so that he just, essentially, he didn't suffer for the sins of the world, that that was just a, a death that they put him to, and that was this guy's interpretation. What does the passage mean? How come Jesus says prior to going to the cross in this prayer, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do? The answer is profound. In his incarnation, Jesus Christ came to carry out a number of things. The will of the Father was for him to come and live as God, man, 100% God, 100% man, and by and through his love for God and man, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He performed miracles, part of the work he was given to do. He called 12 men, he taught them, he prepared them to carry on his church, part of the work that he was called to do. And among other things, all these things were labors that the Father gave him that were uh, part of his ministry as he walked this earth. Hello. Uh, with Jesus coming to fulfill the law, which was a system of works, this only makes sense, right? That the first part of his ministry was going to be works-based because the law was works-based and he came to fulfill the law. But here in John 17, 4, the Lord has reached the point where his mission of works was complete. He, his work, in other words, was done. Now it was time for him to die. Uh, and it was time for him to give his life over to relinquish power over to the hands of evil men and to die to flesh, to turn the other cheek. All of this was accomplished Listen, his passion was not accomplished by working or by effort or by strenuous strain or by his flesh. It was accomplished by dying to himself. It was accomplished by relinquishing control. It was accomplished by, uh, I, I, I'm in your hands, do with me as you will. Where the Lord under the law came and fulfilled all that the Father had demanded of the children of Israel... The offering, the giving of his life through death was emblematic of the effortless forfeiture of his will, of his natural reactions, and in the end of his very life for us. The dying of the self, the willingness to be crucified, to be buried with Christ, is then commanded of us too. So that's why we are not saved by our efforts and works. We are saved by dying to our former selves. We're saved by not extending efforts and works, but by saying, God, you're in control. I give up my will uh, for you. 
So these types of things happen in the Christian walk when someone slights us and we turn the other cheek, when someone does something mean and we forgive them, when we don't respond through our flesh, but we die to our flesh and respond through the spirit, which is exactly what the cross was, submitting to evil men and placing uh, his life in the power of God, not his own works. And that's the explanation of it. Okay, uh, a week ago tonight, millions of people who consider themselves Christians received maybe one of the shocks of their lives when they realized it was not in their power to put an active Mormon into the most powerful office in the world. A number of very interesting things have surfaced since this historic day one week ago. In the week prior to the presidential elections, Mormon media mogul Glenn Beck stoked conservative fires by strongly intimating that God was truly moving through the nation to bring it back to its former greatness by implementing and putting in a Mormon president. I mean, uh, Beck was just pushing this, God is this, God is moving. I mean, the guy came so close to prophesying that God had all but put Romney in the Oval Office a week before the elections even took place. It was amazing. So how did Beck respond after God gave Barack Hussein Obama the win? You heard that right. Uh, he said, and I quote, man, sometimes God really sucks. That's what Glenn Beck said in response to his Mormon candidate not winning. I, I don't know if there's any way to justify such a remark. I, I, you know, at least not if you're a Christian. So then ABC News reported that Utah led the nation or helped lead the nation in racist tweets after the election results were announced. Many local Utahns interviewed about the data were, uh, they acted very surprised and they said they simply can't understand uh, where such bigotry would originate from. Uh, how about years of LDS doctrine? How about from their own uh, Book of Mormon? How about from their own Pearl of Great Price? Years of bigotry. Uh, additionally, we discovered that a number of LDS bloggers are saying that if it wasn't for the superstorm Sandy, Romney would have taken office. National polls actually support this opinion, saying that over 70% of the people who voted for President Obama said that the way he responded to the storm played a significant role in how they voted. With that being the case, we do have to ask, however, to these LDS bloggers, uh, who was it they think allowed the, the storm, the superstorm, to, to, to land? Who do they think allowed that storm, or who created it, or who let it exist? Um, God certainly works in mysterious ways. And then, just because I can't resist bringing it up, I have to ask about all the fasting for Romney Mormons now, all that was going on around the nation by the Latter-day Saints, the fasting and praying that he would take office. Having been LDS, I know they sometimes will use fasting sort of like a tool of sorts, thinking that if they have gone without food or water, then God almost has to act on their behalf. Uh, obviously, God was not impressed. But what I really want to know is, did the fasting have any influence over the election results? I mean, did Romney win at least some states that he otherwise would have lost to if the saints uh, hadn't gone without food and water? It certainly didn't help him win his own state, did it? So uh, you guys 
who are listening and don't like these comments, you're the ones who chose to bring God into this election. You know, by fasting and praying and using his name to garner support. Are you now willing to admit that God responded to your sacrifices by putting the right man in office? Oh, that is hard to hear, isn't it? Or, or are you still somehow convinced that God wanted Romney to win, Satan wanted Obama, and if only more people had fasted and prayed, then God would have been able to have his way? All this questioning aside, I have to hand it to the LDS. I mean, at least they were promoting one of their own, and at least they were fasting and praying to their own anthropomorphic God. That's far more genuine and authentic than the actions of our evangelical brothers and sisters at large. You see, the nation's evangelicals took the first of the Ten Commandments, which said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and they faith, faithlessly justified endorsing a man who claims that he has many gods before his. It still amazes me we did it. And then they collectively took the second greatest commandment, which says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And they basically said, Who cares if electing a Mormon will help convince unsuspecting people in other countries that this cultic faith is good? We want to save our nation. That's not loving neighbor as self. But in the end, it seems God took your logic and your fears and your insipid faithlessness and cut you down. Across the nation, pastors and preachers and Christian mouthpieces allowed the LDS to call the shots. They stood firm and we danced, selling out the true and living God for nothing more than a mess of pottage. Evangelicals, more like weak need evangelicals. We believe God used this election to shoot a, 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 a shot over the bow of Christian, collective Christian consciousness. I think he was telling us seriously when we woke up Wednesday morning that it's time to get back to teaching and sharing Jesus and to living for a kingdom that is not of this world and about trusting in him and all things and about backing out or at least taking his name out of all these politics. He is calling us to return to biblical Christianity, to re-embrace suffering and to let American weak-kneed evangelicalism die a quick death. We have four years to change. Four years to change the way we have been doing things. Tell your pastors in no uncertain terms you're not going to allow them to lead you down this road again, this road of compromise, compromise on behalf of God. Refuse to listen to or support ministries who use Jesus as a vehicle for taking political action, who fight Washington, D.C., or, or are trying to protect fic fictional Christian rights. Let's return to being simple people of humble faith and tireless love for all in his name. All right, and with that, let's have a prayer. Father God, we seek you and we hope that you have reached our hearts in the way that we have tried to uh, manage Christianity in these worldly affairs, Lord. We pray that you will help us uh, die to these things and be people who are just waiting for your return, salt of the earth, 
who love and share you, we pray, Lord. Be with our volunteers, our technical stuff, audience, wherever they may be, and the message we're going to give. With our callers, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, eight weeks ago, before Namelka and the elections and other meaningless divisions got in my head and took us off course, we had spent nearly a year examining what we've called the Book of Mormonian. Our examination began by looking at the essential elements necessary for Joseph Smith and those who helped him to cultivate a religious fraud we are calling that Book of Mormonian. Now, in order to properly grow a respectable Book of Mormonian, uh, we're going to call it the onion for short, we suggested that there are several elements that had to be present. There had, we started with ground, then a seed, fertilizer. We planted the seed, added water, used pesticide, cultivated the plant that grew, and then we had our harvest. Finally, after examining all these elements that played into planting and raising Joseph's Book of Mormonian, we took the actual onion into our hands and began to peel back its layers a number of weeks ago. So let's review some of the highlights to bring us up to speed so we can finish up this year and, and, and go into a completely different avenue in 2013. First of all, we liken the ground for planting the Book of Mormonian to the early American setting that helped create the character of Joseph Smith himself. This ground consisted of early American political opinions that found their way into Joseph's narrative. Additionally, we talked about popular anti-Catholic attitudes that also worked their way into the book, a very unique Protestant culture, and an intense interest at that time in Native American origins. We cannot discount the amount of influence these factors had on the mind of the boy Joseph Smith, because as we have seen, they not only helped forge his personal worldview and how he saw things through his specific lens, but they actually also found their way into the Book of Mormon narrative. These elements would ultimately come to serve as the foundation or the ground for Joseph's personal worldview and much of the content contained in the book. The next element we examined was the seed for the Book of Mormonian, which we liken to the influence of Joseph Smith's parents upon his person. What kind of influence did his parents and family have upon him. We talked about the early family stance against organized religion, their belief in Christ's church needing to be restored, the fact that Joseph's mother was zealously religious while his father was zealously rebellious against religion. We talked about the role poverty played in the Smith family, the role, of er, uh, the role that early physical, emotional, and psychological pain and suffering had upon his person, the role of his father's drinking in the family, and the sudden death of his older brother Alvin. Perhaps more than any other factor, we discussed how Joseph Smith's own father was a visionary man who had dreams, and these very dreams actually made their way into the text of the Book of Mormon as well. The next contributing element we examined was the fertilizer Smith used to prepare the soil. We liken this fertilizer to Joseph Smith's magic practices in the occult, which was introduced and encouraged by his own father. In our examination and in the presentation of the facts we discovered, we were able There's all kinds of things going wrong in here.
Okay, we were talking about the uh, early magic practices. In our examination, we were able to make some strong and wholly reasonable connections to the fact that the prophet, seer, and revelator to be not only learned his craft from years of pretending to see buried treasure by sticking his face in a dark hat, but that he would employ these very same folk magic practices in his supposed translation uh, of this book where in his folk magic activities, he was instructed by spirits as to the whereabouts of buried treasure, gold. Smith claims to have been led by another spirit, the angel Moroni, to the location of other buried gold, this time on gold plates, which contained a book. Not only did folk magic practices play a role in the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, they also made their way into the pages of the Book of Mormon, which we discussed. The fact that Smith died carrying magic amulets and magic parchments on his person when his body lay there dead shows how influential the occult and magic practices were upon this religion's founder. Once the ground was fertilized and the seed for the onion was in hand, it was now time to plant, and we liken this to the uh, interactions with the angel Moroni. Included in this, we took a few weeks to look at Joseph Smith's first vision claims and were able to prove that the true and historical first vision of Mormonism occurred in 1823 when the angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith's bedroom, not in 1820 when God the Father and Jesus Christ supposedly visited him. That was made up retroactively and what came about 13 years after the fact in terms of written proof. Looking at the reports and records of Moroni, we were able to see, according to Smith, that uh, he was very active in visiting and assisting Smith in his practices, so much more than the missionaries and Sunday school teachers in the Mormon church reveal today. With the seed planted in fertilized soil, we introduced the watering of the onion, likening this act to the translation process of the book as detailed by history. Since watering helps seeds grow, we can look at the translation process as an evolving thing that helped the Book of Mormon spread out in its narrative. The translation, ex, uh, the translation process was really amazing in many different ways. We learned that timelines for translating that Mormonism teaches its people were very suspect, that the character of Martin Harris was twisted a bit, that Joseph Smith, after having been told by God to, no, to join no church in 1820, actually joined the Methodist church in 1828, contrary to everything the church is supposedly built upon. We also showed how the purpose and point of the onion morphed over time as Smith faced various trials and challenges in his own personal life. The, the theme of the Book of Mormon also morphed. Finally, we discussed the story of Harris going to Professor Anton and what a farce the story LDS missionaries uh, tell is today. When the first 116 pages of the uh, onion were stolen by Martin Harris' pesky wife, we liken this to Smith needing to supply strong pesticide to the whole thing, uh, as failing to respond would have finished the Book of Mormonian. In these programs, we pointed out that it was during the crisis of the lost 116 pages that Joseph Smith shapeshifted from being a uh, kind of a magic, folklorish, gold treasure guy 
to being a prophet, seer, and revelator. And the narrative of the Book of Mormon follows that transition where the lost 116 pages were mostly historical about the origins of the Native Americans. Suddenly it shifted into becoming a religious book. And finally, before unearthing the onion, we talked about some final cultivation that uh, took place, which amounted to Joseph Smith getting together with a, a distant relative by the name of Oliver Cowdery. And once Oliver and Joseph cultivated the contents of the book, it was ready to go. We took that early, early version, the first version, and at first glance, we noticed its verbosity. We noticed the changes that have taken place in it. We noticed anachronisms. We noticed supposed chiasmus, which has been disproven. We noticed city names uh, and the origins of them from other local geography in Joseph Smith's day. We noticed apocryphal book references. We noticed proper noun names formulated by this goofy suffix or prefix name that Joseph Smith would use, like anti or Ammoniha or Shaniha or Shanihaha. I mean, it was just a, a, a suffix game to create more names uh, to use. And we also looked at the Liahona as a compass, a magical ball that would steer them to prosperity. Then we looked at the witnesses of the plates themselves and some of the revelations God conveniently gave Joseph Smith to force Martin Harris to mortgage his farm for the production and publication of the Book of Mormon. And then we actually cracked the book open and we started to peel back the layers, starting with the title page. We showed you difficulties with that. And we ended the harvest section with a study of Sidney Rigdon, somebody who could have played a part in the construction of the book from the onset. That has taken us a year to go through. We did this as a response to Apostle, um, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Um, whatever his name is, standing up in general conference and saying that if you're going to exit Mormonism, you have to crawl under, over, or around the Book of Mormon, which is full of literary genius and all this stuff. So we said, well, we're going to prove it's not. We're going to continue on through the rest of this year, the next six, eight weeks, whatever, six weeks, and talk about finalized aspects of the Book of Mormon, elements that prove further it is nothing but a fraud. And then in 2013, we're going to embark on something new and what I find very exciting. We're going to title it something like, From the Doctrine Comes the Practice. And we're going to examine all the unique and strange historical and present day events that have occurred by faithful believing Latter-day Saints. That includes statements by Brigham Young. That includes uh, Mark Hoffman. That includes the Lafferty brothers. That includes all the strange, Elizabeth Smart. That includes all the things that have come up and boiled up and flown over as a result of this odd religion and its doctrines. So stay tuned for 2013 because it's going to be a very informative and interesting show. All right. Uh, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820-973-TV20. While the operators clear your calls, please take a moment to consider the following. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing ride. All glory and honor to him for letting us be a part of it. We have been able to see so many people not just leave Mormonism, but come out into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's worth its weight in gold. Since 2003, 
Aletheia Ministries has sought to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. In 2006, we aired a first of its kind, a weekly live call-in television program that compares and contrasts biblical Christianity with present-day Mormonism. Uh, we could talk about how they say Jesus was a created being. Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, Bible says he was not created by anybody. He's uncreated. The Mormon Church says that Jesus Christ suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. But all the references to suffering and to our being Christian is focused on the cross in the Bible. The Mormon Church says that, that you are not righteous because of Christ's life. The Bible says he imputes his righteousness into us as believers. So we're not only cleansed of our sins, we are made righteous by our faith on him. Since that day, Aletheia Ministries has published three book titles, distributing over 20,000 copies all over the United States and world. Baptized hundreds of people, seen thousands come out of Mormonism, tens of thousands refuse attempts of the LDS missionaries, and has equipped literally millions of people with the facts about Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. And we've only just begun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love my country. And I'm a Mormon. I am a Mormon. And I am a Mormon. The year of 2012 has been dubbed the Mormon Moment, as the LDS Church, for the first time in its strange and troubled history, sought to have one of its own assume the most powerful and respected position in the world, that of President of the United States. After 40 years of activity in Mormonism, Aletheia founder, television host, author, and non-denominational pastor, Sean McCraney, is able to articulate the positive and negative effect of the Mormon moment. Mormonism brings in a minimum of $16 million a day. They own the internet, uh, and they're very adept at swaying public opinion. We've got to inform people about what Mormonism is truly about. We're in a position to do something to stop it. We have the material. We just need some ability to get that material out to the public. Aletheia Ministries is placed to move its television programs, podcasts, books, and website materials not only into different languages, but into far more invasive distribution channels. But we need your help. If the time is right for you, and the inclination has come to you from our King, please consider Aletheia Ministries this tax year.
This ministry is about love. It is not about antagonism. We use methods to reach people's hearts, to get them to search out these facts for themselves. And, 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 and that's what we're about, and we need your help to do it. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Glenn Beck just says, I just love my country. But God sucks sometimes. It's amazing. You know, I want you to know I love my country too. I love this country. And I'm, I'm grateful to uh, be an American. I'm grateful for those who have um, everything they have done for us. So don't take the political stuff uh, and make, it, make yourselves think that I am not uh, patriotic and I am not grateful to have been born in this country and for the people who serve it and give their lives for it but I love God more and I'm gonna always stand for him uh, more on the show we have Alex from Kentucky uh, first-time caller Alex you're on heart of the matter hello Alex you're on the air oh. <laughs> um, I wanted to call in and tell you that I grew up in the LDS church, and for me personally, um, it was really, really bad. Um, I mean, I was ostracized from my friends, and I have been trying to get out of it for a long time, but I don't know how to do it because of, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. Like, my friends, I have friends in the church, but if I leave, I think they won't talk to me. How old are you, Alex? I'm 17. What grade are you in then? I am a junior. You're a junior. So are most of your friends percentage-wise LDS? Yes. Okay. Is your, are your parents LDS? No, they are not, but right. um, they encourage me to go. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult. Well, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think about, uh, do you, aside from Mormonism, what are your uh, religious leanings? Um, Methodist. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and do, you, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I do. And I don't believe any of that co-op uh, planet thing that the Mormons teach that I've been raised to believe. But I don't believe that. Praise God. Well, let me tell you something. You know, uh, the Lord, you have believed in your heart. You've confessed with your mouth. Jesus is the Lord, and it says you will be saved. So let me tell you something. As a Christian, Alex, the Lord is with you, and so you can trust in him. Uh, you, let's just give you a hypothetical situation. You could say, I'm getting out of this Mormon church right now because I know it's wrong, and if the Lord leads you to do that, fine. But if you're doing it on your own, you might walk down the street and go into another uh, church that calls itself a Christian church, and they might be just as strange. And the reason I bring that up is not because I don't think you should find a good Bible teaching church, but I do believe it's not as important as where you are right now as it is what you are doing and how you are seeking. So this is my advice. Conti open up that Bible in your quiet time when everyone else is reading their Book of Mormon. Start in the Book of John. You read that. You pray to God, you talk to Him, ask Him to lead you, and His Holy Spirit will guide you as to what to do. And if He says, you know, you need to get away from this church now, it's time for you to go and find another, 
you'll know and you'll do it because the Holy Spirit is within you. And I trust that completely over everything else. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. If he says, you know, Alex, you just keep seeking me and you just keep relaxing in me and trust in me, and then maybe you'll have some influence on those LDS friends, you automatically know it's not true. So that's not a concern. You just, but just stay in the word of God, keep trusting him, and he will lead you out. Thank you. All right, my sister, you take care. You're in our prayers. I will. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. That was Alex from Kentucky. We're going to Lynn in Bear Lake, Idaho. Lynn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Uh, you have to turn... I, I was calling to um, kind of a sensitive subject. Okay. Um... I've been reading on the on the internet uh, where we are Christians. We belong to the Christian Motorcycle Association. Uh, we've met you a couple times in Murray Park when we went up with the family. Uh huh. And I'm really outraged. You know, the Catholic priests have been brought to justice when they find out of the molestation they've done to these young boys. Mm -hmm. And I was reading about the Mormon temple and what they are doing to people that they have to go through their endowments and they have to put on a shawl with it slit down both sides and then they go through and they're felt. And some come out mortified. Yeah. You no, know, and some come out... I was reading a, a, a guy come out, and he was just so red-faced, and his, the other people before him asked him what went on, and he could not say. Now, why doesn't every, this to me, every temple should have to be registered sex offenders? <laughs> and there's certainly, when they go and they tell people that they are, to bring them into Mormonism, they're not telling them that part of it. No, they don't. The missionaries don't share that little that little part of it, do they? No, I mean, and and you talk about the Mormon is all about money, and it's all and there's a lot of sexual into it too. If you like Joseph Smith marrying 14 year olds, and I mean, when I see these uh, polygamy things. They're not mating off these young girls to young guys to match them. They are, they are putting these young girls with old men. Yeah. And I, I'm a survivor. Uh, I'm on a station. And, this, and these things just outrage me. And these people, some, most of them don't know what they're going into. Well, a call like this is going to help because these are seen all over by virtue of YouTube and people coming to the site. And just your saying that is going to tell somebody who hasn't joined or has just joined or is thinking about joining, I'm going to go into a temple and I'm going to go through and, I'm, and there's going to be part of it where people are going to be touching me in different ways and you, and you hope they don't, uh, they don't do something uh, horribly wrong in that situation, which has happened, obviously. So it's a really good point, Lynn. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You know, I, I got to say this, and uh, I, I don't think we've really talked about it, 
But money is certainly a very big driver of Mormonism as it was for Joseph Smith and gold plates. Right in second place, if not, uh, not abreast, no pun intended, is sex. Uh, let me tell you something. The thing is centered, focused on sex, and I'll tell you how. One, they believe that if you do everything they tell you to do, you get to have sex for eternity. So there's one. So that's what's dangling in the balance, your ability to procreate for eternity. Secondly, of course, we have the polygamy gig. Third, I mean, it's, there's this sexual tension that's constantly there because they're constantly forbidding it among the youth. Then on Saturday nights, they hold these dances, and the dances, they play every sexually innuendoed song you can imagine that a Christian church would never allow to be played in the halls of their, of their dances if they have them. And so they prohibit it, they prohibit it, and then they push it, they put them in situations where it's completely tested, and you know, so much goes on in that situation. Um, uh, the, the, the drive for sex uh, is tremendous within Mormonism, and it's proven by virtue of the uh, accounts that they have uh, uh, slammed against them and their leaders that are fairly well hidden, but they're sued all the time by their leaders doing sexual things to the congregants. But what happens is the congregants, they, they go in and they talk to the bishop. The bishop's job is to protect the church. It is not to protect the congregant. It's to represent the church. And so to represent that institution, they do everything to downplay that type of thing. So right there, up there, second place, uh, is sex. By the way, when my dad, this is just a true story, when my dad came out of the temple for the first time, this is a quote. I don't even know if I can say it on TV. Somebody touched my dork. That's a quote from my dad. Went in, put on the thing, came back out, and quoted. Someone touched my dork. What a dork is, I don't know. I think it's near the Adam's apple. Okay, uh, we're going to go to Marsha in Ogden, leaving Mormonism. Marcia, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, hello and good evening to you, Sean. Um, I just wanted to share something very briefly to you that, uh, with you that uh, through a couple of your shows that I decided to do uh, last week when I got in the voting booth. Oh. Um, a few nights before that, I'd been talking to some friends and I posed the question to them in a, in kind of inconspicuously type thing, and they're Christians, they were in the church I belong to, who they might be voting for. And they said, well, they were going to take the lesser of two evils, and they were going to vote for Romney. And I was very um, disgusted with that, because I, I know what Mormonism is, I know what he would have to believe in. He would either be a traitor to our country if he... Uh, follows what he does in the temple, and if he doesn't follow what he does in the temple, then he's lying to the church. And so when I got in the voting booth, I didn't want to go with a no vote on the presidential thing, so I had a write-in candidate, and my write-in candidate was Jesus. Amen! Praise God, Marsha. It's a great story, and you know what? It's really good to hear someone besides me articulate this, that Romney would have lied to either God from his t temple covenants, or he would have lied to us as a president. And, right. and very few people got that, that Marsha. So I just wanted to share that with you. Really appreciate it. Way, uh, that's a good person to vote for. God bless you. Okay.
Okay, bye. Bye bye. We're going to Dan in Ogden. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, um, I just have a question. Uh, I was wondering, um, I get the voting thing that God is in control and he puts the leaders over us. Yeah. Um, my, my question is drawing a distinction between that and your health. Uh, your, your health is in God's hands. He gives you your every breath that you have. And I just wondered, you know, we fight it so much with science and medical technology. Is there a distinction between fighting that in your flesh? Probably. That with science in the flesh? Probably. I mean, it depends on the individual. And again, Dan, understand, individually, citizens of the United States, uh, they have every right to go and vote. That is not my point. My point has always been, as a believer, don't make it a Christian issue. That's been my only point. So, using your analogy, I would say, as a believer, don't make health a Christian issue. And that's really, it's really a good point because we have people who are constantly trying to sell us different types of potions and natural waters and super salts to cleanse the colon uh, in the church. Uh, you know, why don't we just leave the medicine and, and the holistic medicine to the people who practice it outside of the church and not make it a Christian thing? So it's an individual choice. That's, all, that's the only point I try to make. Don't make it a Christian mandate that we do things a certain way outside of what the Bible dictates. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. I, I just I look at it as it's all within God's hands. Amen. And, and why don't we... And, and, but I know at the same time if I needed stitches, I'd go to the emergency room and, and I would pray, but I would certainly get help from, you know... The yeah, community. and let me tell you, and, and just from my perspective, if I needed stitches, I would try to use scotch tape, and I, I, I try not to go to doctors ever, and I, I medicate myself, and uh, I, I don't have health insurance. Our family hasn't had it for uh, 12 years, so I know people are going to say you're too radical. You know what? God has always provided for us, always. And so, you know, people are going to, that's, that's not wise. I mean, I hear it all the time. Believe me, my friend's constantly in my ear about it. But it depends on how the Christian wants to go. I don't see anything wrong with someone going to a medical doctor and getting penicillin and things like that. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm the first one to send my daughters to the doctor. But for me personally, the way I see it, hey, I get something, God will either heal me or he won't, and it's bye-bye fathead if he doesn't. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Interesting stuff from Kayleen. Do you believe in healing? <laughs> uh, I, I do believe in healing, and I believe that God gives uh, men and women uh, minds, and that gives us uh, modern science that's progressed, and I do believe that there's times when we use that. I do believe God can miraculously heal. I do believe that that's taken advantage of sometimes in the church, and there's charlatans in it. I think, you know, bottom line, it's you, your relationship to the Lord, and there is no set thing here, and I will argue with the charismatics till the day is long over that one. Do you think, uh, what do you think of speaking in tongues? I think that speaking in tongues is when someone speaks in a language that is, in a, a, real, that is a real language, and they don't know it. I believe that is the context for speaking in tongues in the Bible. 
Praying in tongues, a different matter. I believe those are angelic tongues. It's between you and God and how the Holy Spirit moves through you. I believe in both of those gifts. And I don't believe in the churches that get together on Sunday and stand up and they say, okay, now we're going to speak in tongues. And no one understands what they're saying. I don't believe in that application of tongues. Do you think that uh, many will go to heaven or few? I believe few. I quote the Lord on that. And do you, what do you think of tattoos? Uh, again, there's liberty in Christ. Someone wants to mark their body. They can mark their body. It's going to go to the grave. It's going to corrode. It's going to turn to ashes. Bottom line, that's how it is. I personally, personally, not Christian, believe that, you know, uh, our bodies are fine without the markings. Uh, but I do know that Revelations 19 talks about Christ having printing on his thigh when he returns. That says, King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know if it's on his clothes or if it's on his leg. It says it's on his thigh. Sounds like a tattoo to me. And, uh, you know, we talk about piercings, too. I know that Deuteronomy talks about when a slave wants to be part of a master's house forever, he puts his ear on the doorpost, they drive an awl through his ear, and he becomes a bondservant. And that is a piercing. So, you know, there's all kinds of liberty. There's all kinds of stuff. The only thing I have with tattoos is I do believe they can be a form of flesh worship. And we do enough of that with mirrors in our society today. So that, that's problematic. But I've heard some very reputable speakers say, no, tattoos are wrong. They quote from the Old Testament, but it's talking about printing on your body if you're a Levitical priest, which is what the pagans would do. And that's why God said, don't do it. Otherwise, you know, some great people with very magnificent tattoos who are far better Christians than I have ever been. Okay, uh, onward we have, let's see if I can do it. If we don't have any, we have, the lines are full, but the operators are clearing the calls. Top 20 questions we receive. We've done it before. We'll try to do it quick. How do you share with LDS family, friends, neighbors, spouses? What do you do? Listen, leave the dirty work to guys like me, to people on the internet who have information and are hated. Do not use these approaches with people unless they're LDS missionaries. They're open game. Otherwise, with your family and your friends, engage them in love. Use Jesus. Share Jesus. Are you born again? Do you know him? Things like that leave all the other stuff to guys like us and women like us who do this because your job is to represent what Jesus has done to you in your life. That's what I do with my family. That's what I would suggest. Second number uh, question, how has your family handled leaving the church? All of my family is out of the church and all of my family, immediate family, is in a thriving relationship with the Lord. My youngest daughter uh, is at a Christian school in Southern California. Our middle daughter is actively involved in ministry here doing the video stuff, working, uh, she's a filmmaker and does the stuff that you see on screen. And our oldest daughter, she has done, uh, takes scripture and puts it to the word of God. We see this with other families too who are involved in ministry. So the Lord has blessed us. And then my wife is very engaged in ministry and teaching women's Bible study, etc. How do you make your money? A big one. What do you do for a living? Uh, my wife and I funded the ministry for years. I've said it before, we went into debt. I am now paid as a writer, hosting, producer, teacher, uh, helping in the ministry as a full-time proposition, which is what it bears. Uh, prior to this, I worked at different odd jobs uh, to keep ourselves afloat. I even worked at uh, UPS here, loading docks while we were doing the show a few years back to try to keep the money coming in. Prior to that, I was a stockbroker uh, working in investment firms for 13 years. Uh, let's see, what do we have? 
We have Nancy from Salt Lake City. We'll get to these other ones, number 17, if we have more time. Nancy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, it's nice to see you. you. look so nice tonight. Oh, uh, thank you, Nancy. Uh, normally, you really, you look like Mitchell that kidnapped uh, Elizabeth Smart. Yes! Stop complimenting me, Nancy. Talking about the temple, I, I just want to tell you, you're a total liar. A total liar. About what? The temple and all you've been saying. Well, what about it? Oh, stay touch in. B.S. Okay, wait a minute. You know. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got your point. And you're full Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just put you away. Okay, wait a minute. You tell me I'm lying. That you don't take off your clothes, or at least when I went through, you did, and you put your head through a thing that is open on both sides, and you sit in a room alone with a person. I'd like to make a call. Please hang up and. She's lying. They touch you. They and I would do it, but I just don't want to be disrespectful to them. I'm not telling you what they say, but they touch you with their bare hand on bare skin. They touch you in between your thighs. With bare hand on bare skin, first they touch you with water, then they touch you with oil in those very same places. Back of your neck, on your chest. I don't know what they do to the women, I've never been in there. I offered to be one of the workers, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, but they do that. She says I'm a liar, I'm not lying. Prove me wrong. If I am lying, I will apologize naked on this stage. I'll shave my head. I'll do whatever you want if I'm lying. Did you hear her voice? Did you hear what she had behind her? Okay, it's because she's been, she doesn't know what else to do. Pray for her. We have Julie in Evanston, Wyoming. Julie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. Hey, I was just wondering, you were talking about uh, health care and things like that, you know, staying healthy in the Christian perspective. But I was wondering if you're forced under the um, present, uh, you know, presidential, uh, their administration, what, what would you do about taking their health care? If it's a law, I, I have to honor and obey the people who are making the laws for me. And uh, Romans 13 talks about that expressly. Paul says, listen, God has put them over you. And he was writing that letter to the people in Rome and let me tell you something, those guys, those procurators of Rome and stuff, they were not good men. And Paul was telling the saints, you honor them, what they say and do. So I believe, you know, whoever's in office here in this great country of ours, you know, Republican, Democrat, wild person, whatever, I'm going to do what they say to do. I'm going to submit and I'm not going to care about it. So if they say I have to have insurance, I'm going to be on TV petitioning you to give me more money so I can pay for it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Good answer. Thank you. All right. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bye. bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Next one. Uh, why don't you get some real scholars from the LDS Church on your program? Are you scared? Uh, listen, we want an LDS uh, official representative, and we want them to come on here and talk honestly. I have so much respect for any Latter-day Saint who would call and honestly express the tenets of their faith. The problem with the people who are not official is one, they can come up here and say, well, I believe, and I believe, and I've never, and it's all very subjective. And so they eliminate 
uh, what the church really stands for. Additionally, uh, they, they usually, people who are not official representatives and official, they want to defend Mormonism at all costs. That's their purpose. And so truth becomes irrelevant. It becomes irrelevant to state the facts. What it becomes important on TV to them is to sway people to listen to the missionaries and to bite onto their bait. And so truth is irrelevant. So when you get somebody on the air who is an uh, LDS apologist, their whole bent is to try to persuade rather than to get to the truth. And finally, many of them are just interested in polemics, another word for arguing and debate, and they're very good at it. Uh, I'm not good at debate. I, 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 I like the truth. I will tell you the truth about Christianity. If it sucks in an area, I'll say it. Sorry. Uh, if it's great in an area, I'll say it. If, if the Bible says this, I'll say it. But Mormons don't do that. They, they, they couch things, and that makes me so irate. I have terrible dialoguing with them face-to-face -face in an apologetic setting. Which, so that's why we say we want the official representatives only. Uh, Sean McCraney is neither a true evangelical nor is he a Mormon. You're absolutely right. Keep your titles. Um, what is with the title Born Again Mormon? This is what it's about. And in fact, we'll probably wrap it up with this. You want to be a Latter-day Saint? Be a Latter-day Saint. You want to be a Catholic? Catholic. You want to be a Baptist? You want to be a Methodist? Whatever you want to be, go ahead. But I want to know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, meaning he is God in the flesh. Do you believe he came, he died, he rose from the grave three days later? If you believe that in your heart, have you professed it, confessed it with your mouth? And as a result, have you been born again? That has always been the center point of this ministry, to ask you as an individual, you want to go with your religion and get touched under naked things? Go ahead. But have you been born again? Because that was something Jesus said was an imperative. I tell you, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it's not a process. A woman doesn't give birth over the course of a lifetime. She gives birth at one setting. And then you go and you walk in your relationship with the Lord. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.